0: Hi, everyone. It's Mo Bendari, Editor-in-Chief of OrthoEvidence, and, um, you know, not so often we get a really uh, benchmark trial. Uh, we have that trial here today in which we have an ACE report associated with it. It's a paper published in the August 2022 edition uh, of The Lancet entitled Rehabilitation Vers- versus Surgical Re- Reconstruction for Non-Acute Anterior Cruciate Ligament Injury, called the ACL-SNAP trial a Pragmatic Randomized Trial. And lo and behold, we have the lead author, um, colleague and friend, Professor uh, David Beard, who uh, is a, uh, in this case, a Royal College of Surgeons director. Uh, Very, very impressive title already there, uh, there, David, but also working at the University of Oxford at the Botner Research uh, Center. David, thank you so much for joining us. And you know, maybe I'll just let you go uh, and give us insight about, you know, what do you think our listeners and our viewers need to know about this particular important trial?
1: Most most welcome and, and a real pleasure to be with you and speaking. Thanks, most. So thanks for inviting me. Um, well, well, what I might do is just, first of all, just give you a little bit of a backdrop to why the study went ahead, because I think that's always interesting. We'll just cover off very quickly um, some of the nuts and bolts of the study, although it can all be read easily, and then perhaps talk about some of the issues within it, uh, interpretation and perhaps what it means for clinicians out there, which is probably what you want to know about. Now those of you who are in this field will know that the evidence for what to do with patients who have a a ruptured anterior cruciate ligament is it's not very clear there's lots of lots of work on it there's lots of evidence if you look at the number of papers it's it's enormous but the strong evidence the good evidence is few and far between and there's some really good work done um, a little while ago now by a Scandinavian group um, Stefan Lomander and and Richard Probell um, and they showed that you don't always need to reconstruct. There's a couple of options for people who rupture it. You can go ahead and have some rehab and some very specific exercise. And we've found in the past that that can be very useful. I've published on that in the past as well. Um, And then the alternative is actually to have an operation which reconstructs the ligament. And this really strong study, which was published in the New England Journal, that probably um, we were over-operating a little bit in certain patients and that with acute patients, those who just ruptured their ligament, you should have, a, uh, a course, of rehabilitation, uh, of specialised rehab to start with. And that could take out a whole group of people who didn't need reconstruction, about 50%. And that was followed up um, by a Dutch study um, by Duncan Moifel's group. And they had um, the acute group as well, but they didn't have quite as good a results. They showed that, again, some people could get away with not having the reconstruction, but the outcome for reconstruction was pretty good in that. So it left the acute stage a little bit in contention myself in clinic we all started following this advice and putting people down the line for, re- for, for rehabilitation straight away which is the correct thing to do but we were seeing patients a little bit later in their pathway they were more long-standing and the NHS waiting list being what they are we were seeing them sort of two three four five six a year later and being diagnosed and sending them off for rehab my own personal experience and being very involved with rehab we were finding that they probably were going to come back and it didn't seem like the right thing to do anecdotal so we had to look at that population as a result of that we put in an application to um, to do a large study in the uk which was supported by the nihr um, and we looked at um, 320 patients it was a management study and it's really important to say that so we expected some patients in the rehab two groups one to have immediate reconstruction Want to have rehabilitation, and we expected those in the rehabilitation, some like in the other studies, to have reconstruction at some stage. So it was accommodated within protocol. Uh, so we followed that through. They had three months of, uh, of rehab and they could be looked at again if they needed reconstruction, they would. Or we looked at them 18 months down the line with a variety of outcome measures, including the COOS-4 score and patient satisfaction. The results in a nutshell um, were that we first of all found 41% of the rehab patients went on to have reconstruction. Perhaps thought there might be a few more than that. and There was 29 hospitals, 87 surgeons and 205 physios involved in the study. So it was quite sizable. Um, And the scores were quite different. The signal between the two groups in the end, two black boxes, if you like, at the end were quite significant. The score score was 65 on one and 73 on the other. So highly significant. And every other secondary outcome was the same. Um, In terms of patient satisfaction, um, same thing in terms of the reconstruction, 83% more satisfied compared with 68% in the other group in the rehabilitation. So it kind of showed us that actually in the non-acute group in the long-standing ACL deficient patient it looks like the outcome is going to be better if you go straight to, straight to reconstruction. A couple of interesting things. One was that um, even though they had both groups improved they didn't get back to their activity levels that they had beforehand. We measured that which was surprising it was still very low and we haven't explored why but it was quite interesting. Um, but Overall, the, the message would be, and we can talk about it a little bit further, that if you are longstanding, the, the superior management strategy is probably to go and have reconstruction at this stage. But it's not exclusive. that People will still prefer not to have surgery, and we're not saying that it doesn't work at all. But in terms of shared decision making, sitting in front of the patient, it's useful to discuss those sorts of figures with them.
0: What a great summary. And I can tell you, like, um, those who are reading the, the paper for the first time and may have some insight around some of the prior literature, I think you've addressed some of the original, you know, misperceptions people might have, which is, oh, this is different a result than what we've already learned. So, you know, I think you've covered that very nicely. Can you speak a little bit, uh, David, to the uh, idea? And I'm seeing more and more of the work from the UK happening around the idea of a pragmatic trial. What Tell us, to, to those who don't understand quite what that term means, why that trial is such an important tool to get trials done.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Mo. And actually it's something which is really poorly understood and badly misunderstood. And it came out in this this paper as well with the reviews that came back. So uh, in the UK, we are very, and and I think widespread, but we tend to be um, very active in this area. We do these things called pragmatic studies, which kind of let the health system delivery run as it does. So we put them into these two, two different categories. One is sort of proof of principle: can it work with the best case scenario, or are we interested in what we're sort of rolling out and doing? And this is one of those studies which is about rolling out and seeing what's going on in there. So at no stage we're saying you're having the very, very best of everything. Yeah, and criticism's come back to say, "Do you know what? You know, we're a high-level football team. We give the rehab three times a day for these people." It's not going to happen in the NHS. It's not going to happen to our patients. And we're interested in seeing what's happened to that. So we, it's, it's put under this term of pragmatic and, and it can be misconstrued. And there is some debate about whether we should continue using it, but it's it's probably real world is a better way of saying yeah. it. And it's about seeing whether patients in the health system, what they're having at the time, w- what would happen to them. And that's what we've looked at. I can't say for the, from, from ACL snap, we can't say that if they were to have a much higher level of rehabilitation would the results have been different I I don't know but I know for a fact that if you go into the NHS at the moment and go down these two routes you're probably better off having surgery if you're a long-standing patient so so the pragmatic is important and it's important to understand that so if you are somebody who's at a high level um rehabilitation centre and and, and have different access to different tools and different instruments and different methods, then perhaps it might be a little bit different. But that's the same with all these studies. Uh, I think you have to look at the context, look at the external validity and decide whether it's appropriate uh, for your practice. We try to be as general as we can.
0: Absolutely. And I think, I I think, you know, the day that that I was teaching, that that I was learning, you know, I did my master's some years ago now. And, but for us, it used to be the concept of of an effectiveness trial versus a trial of efficacy, you know, in the absolute perfect conditions, can you, you know, make things work? But, you know, the truth of the matter is if you do a very intensive, let's say, rehab protocol, there are additional costs, additional resources associated with that, that, in the, quote, real world, don't necessarily um, apply to the majority of patients, you know, who, uh, in your case, would not, you know, meet that specific criteria. So, completely, understand this. From your perspective, David, do you, I mean, is this question, the way you've addressed it, answered? Is there room for additional trials to now come and try to, either um, you know confirm or refute this work. And, and I'll ask you for, for this particular patient population, but also go back and say, you raised a bit of an opportunity for the acute ACL injury as well, to say that there might be opportunities for further research there. I wonder what your thoughts are about the future.
1: Okay. I think so, because I think it's not. I mean, when we had the Canon study, it was it was by itself and it was quite informative and and quite authoritative. But actually, whenever a second study comes along, if it shows the same thing, it's a sure thing. I I rarely say there's need for a third if they've both done well. But actually, the two studies, the compare and the Canon study showed slightly different things in the acute patient. So I think there is room for another one there on the acute world um, to look at it. Um, for us, there's always room for a second study with this, uh, and we'll see how we go. Because the pragmatism brings in different aspects as well, which you could have a criticism for, for SNAP, and that is that surgery is very definitive in its intervention. It's, it's a done thing. You can't get away from that. I know not everybody had the surgery, but it's very clear that the intervention went ahead. So from a compliance fidelity point of view, much easier to tick that box. Rehab is a messy old world, and actually we tried hard, and we put some minimum quality things in there, but actually, the amount of compliance was quite complicated. And we, we, we actually put forward a whole bunch of per- protocol analyses to try and take account for that. if It was needed by saying, how many did this? Did they, did they turn up? Did they go? Did they do this? And it was one of the criticisms of the reviewers that we didn't have enough detail on that. But we weren't that bothered about it. We wanted to know what actually happened in the real world. But it's still a, a bit of a question around how much did they actually do? And it does make it different to surgery in that sense. And that's the same with any, you know, if you are going to be doing surgery versus non surgical trials, you're going to find that because they are different beasts. So, yeah, the answer to your question is short. Sorry, Mo, I've gone on a bit. No, no, no I was going to say, listen,
0: yes. no, no. And I was just going to say once again, you know, um, a huge, huge thank you for, you know, for putting effort into do this type of work. I mean, our field moves forwards and leaps and bounds, but it moves forwards and leaps and bounds through the efforts of many, countless. Quote soldiers who are out there every single day, uh, you know, trying to ask questions, work with people, uh, and get this work out in the public domain. So, you know, a huge thank you to you, David, and the team that uh, put this together, and to the team.
1: I was going to say it's really important for me that you know this is not just me. I tend to head it up, but we've got you know Loretta Davis, who's been beside me all the way on this uh, on this route, and there's several other people who've been very, very close to the project, and all the people who've been contributing to it, patients administrative staff, everybody, it's its a real joint effort. If you don't acknowledge that and don't realize how much it is, and we tend to put it in the papers, there's a big long list of you all there. Right. But it's, it's, it's really important to keep the, the research going like that. So to those who happen to be listening to
0: this or viewing this, please take a moment to look at the ACE report that's accompanying this. But more importantly, if you get a moment, take a look at the original paper. There's lots of insights there um, and lots more coming. So thank you again, uh, David Beard. Uh, from Oxford for helping us through this uh, important publication and we look forward to many more from you.
1: You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye.